All right. Welcome to another episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And today we have a very special guest. Today we have Chris Boutte. He's a Las Vegas-based author, influencer, and podcaster. He's the author of Cancelled, Inside YouTube Cancel Culture, multiple mental health books, and he often contributes to wellness publications such as Thrive Global and Tiny Buddha. Chris reads hundreds of nonfiction books each year and speaks with authors on the diverse range of subjects at the popular The Rewired Soul podcast. And you can also find his expert quotes in publications such as Vox, Insider, and Vice. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Thanks for Absolutely, on, man. man. So, all right, let's begin with your journey. How did you become or how did you go from a drug rehabilitation counselor to podcast extraordinaire? Well, first, so I don't get canceled again. Uh, mm-hmm. I was more of, I, I'll, I'll use the word uh, peer support specialist. I got you. Uh, just because okay. I'm not, I'm, I'm not licensed. But, uh, but yeah, um, no, I got sober after destroying my life in 2012. Like, you know, I, I hit that, that rock bottom where uh, I had like a, like a less than 20% chance of living. My drug of choice was prescription opioids. It started with alcohol. I come from an alcoholic family. My mom's been sober since uh, 2005-ish, so she helped me get sober. But anyways, <clears throat> to kind of shorten the story, uh, after I got sober, um, we're, uh, I got sober through 12-step programs. I had no money, no health insurance, nothing. So the only option for me was 12-step programs because they're free. And they teach you that the best way to stay sober is to help other people. So when I was about uh, maybe two or three years sober, just uh, some serendipity came my way. And I ended up starting to work at a drug and alcohol rehab center here in Vegas. But it was like a luxury rehab. Like we're talking like massage therapy, like basketball courts, like the whole (laughs) like passages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had like a five star chef and like it was crazy. Right. And so I'm, I'm coming in there. Like I, I had to get sober with nothing. Like I was living in a sober living house with like 17 other guys and like eating ramen on food stamps. So yeah, I was working in that rehab and it was great uh, helping people, but you also get a lot of entitled like rich people too. Mm. And eventually I was like, I was like, you know what? Because I did groups, I did like one-on-one like peer support type stuff. And uh, you know, people liked what I had to say and you know, they enjoyed my group. So I decided to start a YouTube channel uh, that ended up blowing up before all the bad things happened that I'm sure we'll dive into. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, just um, after after I was canceled on YouTube, I just I wanted to understand what was happening. I've, uh, my mom's a psychologist, so I don't know if it runs if that runs in the family too. But mm-hmm. I just was fa- I'm, I've always been fascinated with human behavior. So when I got canceled, I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I just started reading a ton of books, and eventually I was like, I have a lot of questions too. So I'm like, maybe I'll start a podcast, have some authors come on, and that's where I'm at today. Well, man. Yeah. So, you know, just for the kind of uh, perspective creatives uh, in terms of our listenership, right? So because people are always wondering, like, how would I go about starting a YouTube channel? Like, what would I talk about? What are people actually interested in? What do they want to hear? Right? How did you come up with the ideas that you had for your channel? So, uh, so yeah, so one of my, uh, my, my day job, I, uh, I work in like digital marketing and stuff like that too. Um, and I have a background in like SEO, so that, that helped, but yeah, for anybody who wants to start any type of content, like I tell them, like, just do it. Like my YouTube channel, I legit started with my, with my cell phone, right? Like I just took out my cell phone. I got like a little, like $5 tripod for my cell phone Mm -hmm. and I just started recording videos. Um, Mainly, I, I aside from uh, trying to reach more people who like didn't have the opportunity to go to treatment, like that's why I wanted to start and reach people. But um, but yeah, like you just start creating stuff. Uh, and I've I like a lot of my content, 
like even my writing and stuff, I'm like, how is nobody talking about this? Why is nobody like, if I can't find it, I'm like, what's going on? Like, even mm -hmm. most recently, my son and I have gotten like really into like Legos and like customizations and stuff. And I've had a mm -hmm. million questions and like, you know, people are like, oh, the internet is so huge. You can find anything. No, I can't find anything. So, so <laughs> I'm like, I'm holding myself back from starting like a side Lego channel with my son. But anyways, people have questions. And if you just start making content, you know, to answer questions and, uh, you know, help people, like I'm all about like providing value. Like whenever I'm making a YouTube video or a podcast, I'm like, what is the listener or viewer getting out of this? right? Because people's time is valuable. You know, we're all busy, have a million things to do. And so I, I, I try to keep that in mind. And that's, that's kind of where I suggest people start if they want to make content, because if you're just like trying to hop on, like, oh, I'm going to be like the next like, huge YouTuber, right? It's like, good luck, you know, but if you're trying to provide something of value to the person, like there's much better chances of you like reaching the people you want to reach, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, doing that creates a purpose for you, essentially, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if, if you're just trying to become a YouTuber, that's not a strong enough purpose. You might try a few times, maybe even be consistent for a little bit and then give up. But if you have a real purpose, like you want to really help people, that keeps you in the game, even when things aren't looking good. I mean, oh, yeah, uh, sure. and it depends, you know, your own value system, what looks good, what doesn't look good. But I mean, for example, uh, we've been podcasting, let's say, close to two years now. Yeah, since 2019, mm. yeah, April 2019. Yeah, so like what keeps us going is that same what you're saying, like offering value, right? I mean, it's not about always... I mean, we care about things like metrics. How many people is this? Reaching? I'm more than Alan, by the way. He's the noble one in this respect. <laughs> yeah, he's like you. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, what are we giving the audience? Where it was like, how many viewers do we have? Yeah, yeah well, it's a weird thing because like uh, you should you should care about how many people you reach if you genuinely want to reach that many people. I'm trying to like sink that into my own head because yeah. originally it's all about you know. You think, okay, I just want to concentrate on giving the value, right? And then yeah. if something comes as a symptom of it, like uh, some kind of success, views, and all that, then that's yeah. a symptom. But you try to make that like your, you know, main driving purpose. But uh, he's right in terms of balancing me out, which is like, okay, but we need to find ways to reach people. Like you shouldn't do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result, right? That's yeah. right. That would be Insanity. crazy. Right? So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so, no, uh, that that kind of balance and fine line that you two are talking about, that's actually kind of what led to my my cancellation, right? Because uh, I always say this, right? Like, uh, because there's like, you know, people like, oh, uh, sometimes people accuse content creators, like, oh, you're just doing it for the, the views, right? Or whatever. And what I always tell people is nobody sits down in front of a microphone, in front of a, con uh, a, uh, 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 a camera. Uh, yeah. Nobody sits down in front of their keyboard to write an article or book and says, you know what? I hope this doesn't reach anybody. You know what I mean? Like we right. all create content because we want to reach people. And, you know, the original goal of my channel was how do I reach as many people as possible? Like last year, we had a record number of overdose deaths, right? For yeah. every 100,000, for all those 100,000 people uh, plus who died of overdose, there's countless family members who are affected too. Like, how do I reach them? How do I talk to them? How do I reach the family members who have uh, an addicted loved one out there and they don't know what to do, right? So like, so, you, so there's like this balance between like your noble like intentions and aligning your values and saying like, well, the reason I'm doing this is to reach people so I can help them, so I can provide them that value. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's this mm -hmm. weird fine line that you have to walk to because sometimes 
uh, you know, you, you stray away from that initial value system, you start focusing more, right? Because like my channel, within a year blew up to like 100,000 subscribers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, there were times when my value system kind of got off track and I'm like, oh yeah, you know? Uh, and it, it started paying me full time too. So like, it's, wow. it's difficult. It's part of the, you know, just that human experience trying to balance these things and be the- Yeah, because you, you could easily things. replace one addiction with the other. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. That's that's my that's my life story, you know. <laughs> I hear you, but I can relate. By the way, I, I, by the way, there's a lot of t- areas we can go, Definitely. but um, I do relate. I I did have a. I guess I won't say specifically who, but I, I knew somebody very close to me who was uh, in the grips of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that affected me and the family in terms of just putting as many resources we could as possible, as much time as possible into trying to either lecture um, that person or get them the right help, or uh, when they were at their worst, maybe stealing things, letting them still stay with you anyway, and then having those things stolen, and then balancing, like, do you react to this, and like, give into that impulse to, you know, kick them out, which you shouldn't, like, for example, I try to be that guy who's like, okay, no, you don't ever cut off family, like, this is the disease or this is the ego, like different ways of thinking about it. Like it's not the actual person. It feels like at least like it feels like they're taken over by yeah. like that addiction. So yeah, if, if I had known, like uh, I, I didn't actually know that you were uh, talking about that kind of stuff and like giving that kind of value. So if I had known when I was uh, uh, when I needed that, that, that would have been great. And if anyone, you know, who's listening needs advice on that, that that's, that's incredible that, you know, that you give that. Oh, well, yeah. can, can I also just piggyback that with a question then? So Chris, mm-hmm. was it that when you were working like, um, you know, counseling or kind of whatever the position is called, right? Is it that you found that there was sort of uh, this sort of gap and in insight that people had that, you know, kind of the discussions that you were having with some of your clients there, that it's sort of like you were giving them information that you saw that in, you know, whatever, quote unquote, mainstream, you know, the mainstream public didn't really have, which is sort of what spurred your YouTube channel? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a few things like, uh, you know, like speaking of like ego and stuff, when I got sober, I had to, you know, I had to learn how to check my ego and this whole idea of like, you know, I know everything, I know what's best, I know what's best for myself and everybody. And, you know, uh, even just growing up, like I was always the guy that everybody came to for advice and everything like that. So like, I had to really humble myself when I got sober. But anyways, I just started to notice that I connected with people in treatment. I used to do, um, we had family weekends because like 90% of our clients came from out of state, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something I usually recommend to people like not, you know, always out of state, but getting out of your your normal habitat, right? Like I was in Las Vegas. I was a drug addict and alcoholic in Las Vegas. I've been sober in Las Vegas, but to just get sober, I had to leave. But most of us drug addicts, we can find stuff wherever we go, right? But I left, I left Vegas. I got sober in California, then moved back to be with my son and all that. But uh, yeah, like as far as like, you know, the mainstream conversation and everything like that, like something I noticed when doing family weekends was a lot of family members didn't understand. Like there's this idea, especially from family members, like a lot of the content I made was to help people understand uh, not just the addict in their life, but somebody struggling with mental health issues and stuff. Because for example, parents beat themselves up when their kid becomes addicted, right? What did I do wrong, right? What, what could I have done better? Why did they do this, you know? And then there's the balance between enabling and setting boundaries. So, you know, uh, I noticed it a lot when I was doing family groups that a lot of family members didn't know how to deal. But then also with the addicts, like, 
something I, I often tell people because a lot of addicts, they'll be sober for like a week. They're like, why doesn't my family trust me? Like you were talking, like people like steal and lie and stuff. Like, what is my, I'm like, you've been sober for a week. You put your family through hell for like 10 years and now mm. you expect to re-earn their trust. So those are certain things where it's like, there's these misconceptions that, oh, I'm just going to get sober and life's going to be better. Like for me, like uh, like right now, my son's in the other room, right? He's, he's playing video games, waiting for me so we can work on some Legos and stuff. But when I got sober, his mom didn't trust me for like a good year or two, right? Because I was doing shady stuff. I was getting high around him when I had him on the weekends and, and all sorts of stuff. So I, I had to learn to empathize. But anyways, uh, to answer your question, there's a lot of things where it's like, there's misconceptions, there's ideas that from the family, from the addicts and stuff. And a lot of people just resonated with that when I did groups or one-on-ones and like, hey, that clicked. And as I worked at the treatment center, part of my job was to call people and follow up after they left. And you just start hearing things of like, hey, what you said really helped me. Hey, this one thing you said really helped me, right? So part of it's balance, like checking that ego rather than being like, I'm the man, I like help save lives, right? <laughs> but you take that in and then you say, okay, maybe I do have something to offer and I wanna get it out there to more people because I'm saying something that might not be talked about too much. So, so maybe I was offering a different perspective, but also to your other question about people creating content, everybody has a unique perspective. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of repeat content out there and that really annoys me. But when you provide your unique perspective, your unique voice, your experience and stuff, like you're gonna resonate, you're gonna, you're gonna click with someone. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you remember some of your first YouTube videos? What were they about? So uh, yeah, my I, I got really into mindfulness around that mm -hmm. time too. And my son, God. How old was he? But I started teaching my son mindfulness at a very young age because when I learned mindfulness meditation, because uh, I've been diagnosed with like depression and anxiety and I've been on medications and my anxiety kept flaring up like crazy. And I, and, uh, I was at the max amount of medications I could take before getting on something addictive like Xanax, right? And, uh, you know, I don't take any kind of narcotic medications. But then um, I forgot how I stumbled across it. I was hearing about, oh, I was hearing about mindfulness everywhere. And I found a book called The Mindful Path to Addiction Recovery. And I read it. And a common experience you hear from people is like, I meditated and nothing happened. I swear to you, the first time I meditated, it was a body scan. And I was just like, I get it. I get why people do this now. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I learned meditation. I started teaching it to my son. So a lot of my early videos were about mindfulness just for mental health as a whole. And then also how I taught it to my son, right? Because uh, he used to be very emotional and nervous and all sorts of stuff. And mindfulness helped him learn how to regulate his emotions and all that. And, and, and like now he's 13. So years like at least five years later and you know like he never like he's not like having these like mental breakdowns but he is 13 so just wait until the hormones start hitting and he starts running around being a lunatic but but yeah my initial videos were a lot of mindfulness and then i did uh a lot of education about uh mental health because i loved learning about like why like why do i get depressed right is it is it a chemical imbalance is it life circumstances you know why do i get anxious what's going on there what triggers it so i started educating people about the different studies i learned and stuff like that because that stuff always helped me
Yeah. So it's like, you kind of took whatever you guys talked about in those, like, uh, I'm assuming those meetings, right. You know, mm -hmm. kind of for lack of a better word, right. You would take whatever you guys talked about in those meetings and you would sort of bring them again out to the mainstream because the idea is like, I mean, for the most part, people don't know what goes on behind the scenes of AA meetings. <laughs> so like, yeah. you know, when we had, uh, the two Jameses on, so we had, uh, two of our friends on from, uh, well, so they, they have, uh, their own, it's like, uh, what is it called? Dynamite. Oh, okay. So yeah, there, there's a, there's a, um, center they both, uh, worked at, uh, one of them, I think, I believe, I believe still works there yeah that's called a dynamite youth center i believe yeah and yeah it's a, it's a rehabilitation uh facility and um both of our friends they they used to be incredibly addicted also with uh opioids and, and uh stuff like that and um they both uh are both are in recovery uh both uh both are doing incredibly well right now and we had them on the show to talk about their experience and, and what that was like and yeah uh, yeah yeah so and it's like for a lot of people especially even me right so i've never even though i'm in the mental health profession i don't technically know what happens behind aa meetings like i mean i'll have clients yeah. tell me or whatnot but i've never actually had firsthand experiences so it's kind of interesting to have had them on the show and to give these firsthand accounts because some of those stories right none of them were watered down from what i remember none of them were watered down i yeah. mean they gave you like the bare bones of everything that happened them right obviously in those meetings and then they even talked about what happens in the family meetings right the uh, family of addicts so it's like wow man yeah you look at this stuff and you know people kind of think of this as a it's pretty like esoteric to the mainstream so they a lot of us like again even me as a professional we don't really know exactly what goes on behind those meetings so i yeah. can imagine right if there was uh you know there were not just, I mean, stories, which are obviously useful, but also kind of ways of dealing and advice in terms of like ways of dealing with addiction and, you know, advice for families. I can imagine how there could be a YouTube channel, right? Where again, a lot of this esoteric information is given yeah. to the public that they couldn't have possibly have known otherwise. Right. Like yeah. just to tag that a little bit. Um, I, I, I wondered this, especially around the time when I had that, that person who was really addicted and, uh, close to me. Um, I remember thinking like how many people uh just get fed up and kick the person out or don't longer no longer deal with them or think that that those behaviors that that person is doing on, in the grips of addiction is that person like in their true nature uh, mm -hmm. right it, it, it just it's crazy to me because like uh, some people get lucky like sometimes you'll accidentally do the right thing right you might keep that person nearby you might uh, help get them uh, treatment and eventually maybe things do actually uh, work out okay or sometimes there's a failure you try again another failure try again and until maybe something works out and it, it could randomly work out nicely mm -hmm. but uh yeah there's so many people that if they they knew that like okay maybe that's that's the disease talking right now like that's not really that's that that's not really your son who uh genuinely wouldn't have stolen this from you or wouldn't have mm -hmm. um committed this crime or whatever I, i'm just I, yeah it's, it's not up. as simple as like well you know this person is just pure free will and he has the choice to just stop whatever yeah right yeah yeah it's yeah. uh it, it you know uh just it's it's something i try to teach people about with mental health as a whole right like uh there's a uh one mental illness that's highly stigmatized which is borderline personality disorder and that's something i started learning about a lot but uh yeah. speaking of mindfulness there are with bpd there's massive issues with emotional regulation right mm -hmm. and there's this tendency I, I think it's just part of human nature we see it with political stuff and everything like we see behaviors and stuff as that person right not a symptom of something else that's going on so whether it's addiction or you know uh even like depression 
right? Like somebody might, oh, you don't like me. No, that person is depressed, you know? Oh, this person doesn't want to hang out with me. No, that person is socially anxious, right? So we, we tend to like, we get offended by the actions people do. We, 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 we can't like separate those two things. So that's one of the reasons I think education is so important, but like with addiction, it's really difficult because you're living with this life or death issue. And as I hear like you talking about like your experience with someone in your life and everything, like I've witnessed just in those three years working at the treatment center, I had 80 former clients die. Right. And that's, that's a rough estimate. That's probably lowballing it a little bit, but we're talking relapse and overdose was the most common. We're talking suicide because when people get sober, Russell Brand, I know we're probably going to touch on him. Uh, he had an amazing quote in his book recovery that I was like, yep, that's what it's like, where he was talking about, like, for a lot of us, the drugs were the only thing keeping us alive. It was the only thing giving us purpose. Like when I woke up in the morning, right. I was like, okay, well, at least I have drugs, you know, but everything else sucked. But, uh, but yeah, so many people die and especially with addiction recovery and it's similar with mental health, there's not this like one size fit fits all, right? Like mm -hmm. when I was doing groups, like I come from a 12 step background, but I'm of the belief of literally whatever helps you do it. Like if, if 12 steps don't work for you, I don't care. There's stuff like smart recovery, refuge recovery actually uses like Buddhist philosophy. So I got into that because of a lot of mindfulness and meditation. And I got into like Buddhist philosophy once I understood uh, more about mindfulness and where it came from. But yeah, I'm, you know, and even with like depression and anxiety, like, hey, does CBT work? Cool, do that. It doesn't work. Maybe exercise works for you. Mm -hmm. I had one client and physical activity was her, the best thing for her. She got back into long distance running. Now she's like, uh, like she does like the Spartan races and everything. She like, she's been sober probably like five or six years. Like she came into treatment while I was there and she's still sober. Like I follow her on Instagram and stuff. And she does like Spartan races and all those insane things, but she never goes to meetings and that's what keeps her sober. You know what I mean? So that's the other thing I try to educate both people and their families on is like, hey, find what works for you and dive into that. You know what I mean? Because uh, even when I got sober, there were certain meetings that I liked and didn't like. Uh, I'm one of the uh, atheist slash agnostics in 12 step programs. There's a lot of these ideas. Like once you go in there, like you're going to become like a Jesus freak or something. That's a misconception I had. Right. Then I met a guy who's like, Hey, I've been sober five years. I'm an atheist and I work 12 step programs. I'm like, dope. I can do that too. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's things to like learn, get yourself educated about, find what works for you and, and go there. I, I call it like, like this menu of like mental health or menu of uh, addiction recovery. Like you don't need to have everything on the menu, but just, just find something and do that. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. So what you're basically saying is one size doesn't necessarily fit all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And people just, there's like a, right. And, and there's like a method depending like what you resonate with, that's going to work for you. For example. Yeah. Something that I liked is um, the book, the power of now, right. By Eckhart Tolle. He loves is, it. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, by the way, there's a guy named Jeff Brown who I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the show before who actually criticizes his work and actually has pretty decent criticisms of it. But otherwise though, I still like the work though. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they talk about like identifying with the mind, like how ego wants to identify with different thoughts, but whenever you're in the moment, you couldn't possibly uh, identify with the ego. So like, kind of like that thing you're talking about at the beginning with the mindfulness, like body scan. I guess uh -huh. like while you are scanning your body, like you're putting your attention to all these different parts, you can't necessarily be as attached or as in anxiety or thinking about what's going to uh -huh. happen or what happened before. 
So yeah, that stuff like definitely worked for me, but for other people, uh, like you said, it could be maybe, yeah, exercise or, uh, maybe, uh, another hobby or something like that, or, or meetings, yeah. you know? So yeah. And then often own. I would yeah. even think of these as like step-by-step -step processes. Cause sometimes what I find is that when people start feeling a little bit better then they're, they're allowed to, or at least they allow themselves rather, they kind of allow themselves to sort of push forward where it's like, let's say if you start exercising and you start feeling better, then maybe you'll start attending an AA meeting, right? Then you attend an uh -huh. AA meeting. You see that opening up isn't so difficult, that vulnerability, maybe not. So it's such a bad thing. Then maybe you'll even attend individual therapy. Right. And then sort of so on and so forth. It's like, as long as you get the ball rolling sometimes with just something, it could kind of springboard you into that thing that's the hardest right so if let's say you struggle so, so it's different right so some people struggle with group meetings the most just because they're like oh i don't want to open up in front of a bunch of strangers for some people it's individual counseling right because they're like well at least in the group meeting you know people kind of share my problems right mm -hmm. so not that scary whereas with the therapist it's like oh my god it's this authority figure i don't want her or him to judge me yeah. so but it depends right it's sort of like uh once you get the ball rolling it becomes a little bit easier but i can also but i mean i guess yeah what i'm saying is that i could see how this could be like a springboard but i think the point that all of you guys are making is that if you pick like this thing like that's at least in the beginning a little bit easy right even if that's the thing for you which is great if it's terminal but even if it's not it could be the thing that could kind of create a not a plateau it could get you to um it could get you to a higher plateau right as mm -hmm. long as you obviously keep going yeah one of one of my favorite books and i i had him on the pod like not even on the podcast he was a guest on the youtube channel but uh it's dr alex corb he's a neuroscientist and he wrote this book called the upward spiral and <laughs> it's uh it's all about um uh, uh the neuroscience behind like uh dealing with your depression right and kind of like with what you're saying like uh our brain loves when you accomplish just even small goals so like with depression one of the biggest, well, like one of the main things that just absolutely sucks about depression is the lack of motivation, yes. right? So it's like, do something, do anything, right? It's like, well, I don't want to do anything. But in his book, uh, something that, you know, I, I learned was when you accomplish small goals, your brain's like, nice, it gives you a little reward for that. So you start smaller, like you're talking about, like, just do something. I'll never forget. I had this one client who came in, his like, his family was like, just super rich. I forgot what company they owned. I couldn't even say if I, I remember. But anyways, but anyway, he came in, he was just so entitled, wouldn't do anything. And I remember him coming into my office and because uh, often the counselors, because we had a lot of count, uh, therapists who were not in recovery. So they'd be like, hey, Chris, you want to try talking to this kid? I'm like, sure. But anyways, he came in there and I'm like, so what's up, man? And he's telling me, all the things like, I don't want to go to 12 step meetings. I don't want to call a sponsor. I don't want to do this. And, no, and he just rattled off this huge list. And I just looked at him. I'm like, okay, what will you do? Right. And like something clicked in his head and he's like, Oh, okay. Well, here's the things I'm willing to do. And I'm like, then do them. Okay. Just do those <laughs> things. So it's like, uh, sometimes like we just, you know, because of that, uh, that negative bias we all have, like, we'll just focus on all these like things like, Oh, I'm not going to do this or this is terrible. It's like, okay, well, what do you like doing? Do that. Right. Because when I first started going to AA meetings, like, I, I'm an introvert. Uh, I used to have a ton of social anxiety. Like I can do these one-on-one -on -one conversations, but in a large group, like I get drained really quick, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, my first year in 12-step meetings, I just sat in the back and I just listened. I didn't say a damn thing, right? And that helped. I sat there and I heard these stories and I'm like, oh, I'm not alone, right? I thought I was crazy and it's just me going through this. No, there's a bunch of people. And I was going to meetings every single day. It was my first year. I was fortunate enough uh, 
to not work. So I was just able to focus on my recovery. But yeah, just sitting there and listening. And then like, I started pushing myself. Like I said, I hated being around people. I still not a huge fan. Before we hopped on, I was talking about living in Las Vegas. I never go to the strip. Being in crowded places is just my nightmare, right? But I started forcing myself to go out and just like, cause it, a lot of people go to coffee after 12 step meetings. I would go there and I would just stand there silent, be uncomfortable, but I was being around people. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. in addiction, like we'll just sit there and isolate alone and stuff. So I was just forcing myself to the to do the opposite of these things. But it was just these little small things and it opened me up. Like you said, it gave me confidence. Uh, it, it helped me see that I can do things because how many times are we like, oh, I could never do that. Then you do it, you just disproved your own uh, theory. So now you can do more, you know? So there's so many different routes. And it's one of the reasons I love just talking about this stuff because I was hopeless, like going to sleep every night, just hoping I wouldn't wake up in the morning, right? And now I live this like awesome life. I get to do my podcast. I get invited by you wonderful gentlemen. Like life is dope. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? I mean, maybe funny is not the right word, but it kind of sucks is that the way our culture looks at pride is that like you're either sort of if let's say if it's religion, right, then, you know, you're sort of a sinner because you're, you know, you think you're godlike. But if you know, obviously, if we're talking about secularism, then the idea is like, well, you're narcissistic, right? And you also have like this sort of idea, even in the sports world, where it's like uh, this sort of famous, I guess now John Madden quote, where he said something along the lines of like, oh, well, uh, sort of uh, self praises for losers, right? Be a winner. And I'm like, no, if you've ever dealt with people who are mentally ill, all they do is blame and criticize themselves. Yeah. There's no pride. <laughs> There's no self-praise. So it's like, yes, I get it. On the one hand, you're saying that excessive praise sucks, meaning that if you have like social media feeds that are saturated with selfies and like, you know, uh, kind of tweets or whatever of how wonderful people are, I get it. Fine. Right. But when we're talking about just the sort of notion of pride, the fucked up thing about people who are mentally ill is they have none of it. So if you're trying yeah. to get this person to actually feel a little bit proud of something, they'll give you a million million reasons why that doesn't count. So I can even put myself in the mind of, let's say in this case, right, somebody who's an addict and putting themselves in, let's say some social situation, right? Let's say, uh, you know, you're struggling and you're in the grips with addiction and, you know, you're going to a diner, right? And all you're doing is just, you're sitting there, you're ordering food, right? You come to your therapist and your therapist says, wow, man, oh my God, remember yesterday you were mm -hmm. so afraid of going out and being in front of people. And then what's the addict going to say? Uh, yeah, but I actually didn't talk to anybody. And it's like, no, that's not the thinking yeah, that we want people. Celebrate those small wins. Yes, yeah. yes. We don't want people to discuss scout the little victory. So it's like, look, man, even if you want to post a selfie on social media and say, hey, here's me sitting at a diner, do that. Please do that. Get people to give you comments. And, yeah. Go ahead. And this is the winner effect, right? Yeah. Uh, tell us what that is. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's essentially, it's probably what they talk about in the upward spiral book, right? And what we're now talking about, which is you would stack these little wins on top of each other. And then what it does mm -hmm. is your brain rewards you uh, every time that you do something that you count as a win. So right. for example, just being in a social situation, whether you speak or you don't speak, if you're just listening, well, if you're there when otherwise you never would have gone there, okay, that's a win. Even if you didn't speak, that's like a 0.1% improvement. Okay, you did it again, another 0.1% improvement. Maybe this time you spoke a little, it didn't, you maybe didn't talk to anybody. Maybe it was actually a mistake or it wasn't a good interaction. Yeah. Still better than nothing and then all these little things uh they just stack up and, and they give you confidence to sort of craft like a new sort of identity for yourself yes. in, in another way of speaking and you can move away from 
an old way of being to a new way of being yeah. with using that. Yeah. yeah. And, and this sort of uh, an example comes to mind with one of my clients. I remember. So he was really terrified of like talking to women and approaching them like at a bar, mm -hmm. club, whatever. Right. So he has this one day where he's like, yeah, you know, uh, like this, this girl ended up coming and sitting next to me. Right. Um, he's like, I didn't really talk to her. Then. So she sort of like left. But then sometime later. Right. I ended up I came up to her. We had a really good conversation. Right. But he's like, damn, man, I fucked the whole thing up. I was like, why did you say something offensive? He's like, no, I didn't ask for her number. And my friends were like, oh, you idiot. Why? What did you do? How did you not ask for a number? What the fuck? Right. And then I'm like, wait, wait, hold on a second. So you're telling me, right, that you went from, hey, <laughs> I'm this guy who never approaches anybody ever to now I'm not only approaching, a, you know, this woman who I clearly don't know. Right. I'm having a good conversation with her. I'm keeping her engaged. Right. We're having this great back and forth banter. It lasts for a reasonable amount of time. And yes, OK, literally the only mistake I made was not asking for her number. But like I was like, did you think that she liked you? And he's like, well, I mean, she seemed really into it. It seemed like she was having a good time. So I was like, wow. So that like debunks your whole myth of that. You know, women yeah. aren't interested in you. Right. So, yes, obviously, I get it. If we're thinking about it in black and white terms. Yes, you didn't get her number. Right. But think about this. Right. Think about the fact that, number one, this woman liked you, clearly meaning that other women would find you appealing. And number two mm -hmm. is you actually have the ability to talk to them. Like, yeah. when did that happen? Right. So if we yeah. put you in this situation the next time. Right. And obviously you tell yourself, oh, man, I'm just going to fuck it up again and not ask for a number. I'm like, you're probably not going to want to do it. Right. But if you put yourself in this situation the next time and tell yourself something like, oh, my God, yeah, I got a girl to be interested in me last time. I'm like, maybe the next time you could kind of push forward and take that one final step. Are you yeah. your friend? <laughs> That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Fine. It's my stuff. It's actually this is legit. It's it's one of the it's one of the reasons like, you know, I don't like, you know, just put this like front and center. But it's one of the reasons I talk to so many people on my podcast about like just scientific thinking. Right. Because that's a huge aspect of your mental health, because like science is updating your beliefs based on new evidence. That's exactly what we're talking about here, right? Like you're mm -hmm. talking about, you know, this guy and stuff. It's like, no, your your hypothesis that you're somebody who cannot do this is wrong. So now you need to update your belief based on that. And like you're saying, you start stacking up these little wins. No, I'm not somebody who can't do this. I'm somebody who can do this. So like, there's so much that just like blends in together. It's why like, uh, you know, I learned this going to meetings because I used to go to meetings where sometimes you'll be there for an hour and you're like, this meeting sucks. But I learned there's something you could take away from every single situation, right? Like maybe at a meeting where some jerk was talking, I'm like, well, I don't want to be like that guy. Boom. I, I learned something. But with like books and everything, uh, with articles I read, I'm like, what can I take away from this? And I'll, I'll bring that into my own life. Like, you know, when I read books on scientific thinking, I'm just like, oh, I can use that with my own mental health. Like if I get nervous, uh, when I'm gonna, you know, because sometimes I talk in front of big groups, I've done like local events here in Las Vegas for like mental health events. And like, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't do this. Then I do it. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I got to update that beliefs. You know what I mean? So there's so much that just like overlaps and, and we can just pull in to improve, you know, just our own well-being. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. And so just going back to obviously uh, some of your work, right? What was it that you took away from Russell Brand? So, uh, man, what I, so I, I obviously knew of Russell Brand with his like, uh, like, you know, comedy and movies and stuff. And I, I was like, I was like, he's all right, you know, but, um, his book recovery came out while I was working in treatment and like, I just loved it because one of the things I learned really early on, right. Was, uh, a lot of my friends started coming to me for advice. They saw, cause I used to have like massive anger issues and just, I was just, just all over the place. And a lot of my friends, when they saw me get sober, they're like, wow, Chris, like, you know, you're doing a lot better. So they would come to me for advice and I would give them advice. 
and it was from 12 step meetings, but I wouldn't tell them. It's almost like hiding the vegetables, you know, like, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So anyways, uh, I, I started to realize there's so much that you could take from 12 step meetings that everybody could use. And when I came across Russell Brand's book, Recovery, that's kind of what he was talking about because he breaks down all 12 steps and he, he like really dives into them. And, uh, you know, not only is he talking to addicts, but like anybody could pick up that book and say, oh, well, you know, this isn't a bad idea. Like one of them is, you know, one of the steps is like make amends, right? It's like, mm -hmm. that's like any, everybody should do that. If you're a dick, go apologize for being a dick and move on with your life, right? But anyways, that's when I really like clicked with him. Like sometimes it gets a little too profound for my liking, but I liked what he had to say. Uh, he aligns with a lot of my uh, opinions, like politically, right? Like, cause I'm like big, like, you know, anti-capitalism and all this stuff. Um, so I, I really started getting into him. And then I took a break from him like I loved his podcast too um his conversations with people like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson and he had uh you know he has a bunch of like uh meditation uh teachers on there too like Sharon Salzberg I loved her her work and then I kind of took a break and then like recently recently I'm like kind of side-eyeing Russell Brand but I think uh, just because of his, his YouTube content um but he's there's this weird there's this weird uh, like political ideology that's like coming to fruition where you're like getting like very like left-leaning people that are kind of overlapping with people on the right. So he has a lot of stuff about vaccines and everything like that. But um, uh, his his videos, they're, they're becoming very clickbaiting, but like, I get it. Like we were talking about early, right? Like if you have a message and you wanna re reach people, especially on YouTube, you gotta clickbait. So I'm like, okay, yeah. I forgive you, Russell. So, so it's this weird thing, like, uh, my opinion of Russell Brand literally doesn't matter, right? But I look at him skeptically sometimes. I'm like, okay, Russell, are we still on the same page? Or are you like drifting away? <laughs> you know, like what's going on? But I do think he's a good person, good head on his shoulders. Uh, and 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 yeah, like if he writes another book, I've read most of his books. I think I love his writing, and I wish he wrote more books. But but yeah, he's a he's an interesting guy. That's crazy. I actually have the same exact opinion as you. So that that's so. <laughs> The, the funny thing is like, so I, I got into him a little bit differently. So I, I first got into him um, just from seeing him on different shows and like how he would be profound and articulate certain ideas. He sounded like such a smart guy and he's a comedian at the same time. Also charismatic, good with the girl. I was like, all right, this guy's cool. Like I want to copy. This is like when yeah. I was early twenties, you know, I want to copy him a little bit. And um, then yeah, the, the book recovery started coming out. He's on Bill Maher. He has really cool people on his podcast and all of that. And actually, yeah, for, uh, I have the same thing. I haven't actually listened to him in a while as far as like a podcast goes, but yeah, I have been also side-eyeing him. I do notice like he got way more clickbaity in the last year, year and a half, maybe two, something like that. Yeah. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. Wait, can yeah. I ask? Because like, I'm actually not familiar with this. What do you guys mean by he's being clickbaity? Like he does so, things like the way, I don't know, to the secret of life or something. So like before that. it used to be like, you would just have the, like, it's literally, this is the guest on. And right. it's like the title would be probably the guest name okay. and just Russell, whatever yeah. the podcast name. And it wasn't like anything that nuts, but then now the thumbnails are like, is is Joe Rogan a racist? Or, oh, yeah, 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 y
Yeah, I pulled him up on my other monitor. Right. Uh, like the first one that he released yesterday says, Trudeau, is this your liberal hero? Right. Oh. It, has like, it has like the faces like, right. And then like uh, this one, it has him going like this. And there's a picture of a Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It says, how did they cover this up? Question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, you know so what I mean? That's the thing. So I bet you the content, I'm sure the content is great when you actually listen to it. I'm sure he's yeah. nuanced about it. And all of that, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. It's just that, yes, that's what I'm noticing too. And then well, I haven't clicked yeah. on it. Yeah. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. One of the reasons I empathize with the clickbait uh, stuff. Um, one of the reasons. One of the many reasons I got canceled was I started clickbaiting, right? Because mm. again, I wanted to reach and help as many people as possible. So I got a little clickbaity, and that's when my channel exploded, right? Mm. So like. Uh, it's kind of like the bait on the hook. It's it's like bringing people in, and then when they actually watch the content, boom! It was like like people came in thinking I was just going to be like some like guy like talking like sensationalist nonsense, but they came in and I was like talking science and my personal experience and stuff like that. And that I can't tell you this. Like I've seen a lot of people criticize Russell Brand lately, and they basically do what I did, right? Well, they'll just be like, look at him, and they'll just read off his titles and thumbnails. That's literally in the digital world of YouTube, judging a book by its cover, right? Like that's literally what it is. It's like, and and that's another pet peeve of mine since I read so much. I can't tell you how much I hate people who criticize books they haven't read i just want to do I, I just want to scream <laughs> i'm just like no consume the content right if you hate it afterwards cool right like consume russell brand's content if you think it's terrible awesome you know um but but yeah that's that's an issue i have like i think you know like with all the polarization and everything going on to have such strong feelings for someone and not know their their nuanced thoughts is baffling to me like i just don't get like we're we're all just people trying to you know live day to day for the short time we have on this earth so to have such strong feelings of disdain for someone without even knowing their full range of thoughts is baffling to me and that's like something i hope to get across like with my podcast and the range of guests i have and the books i read it's like listen just just give them a chance listen because we're all humans and you start to see where people are coming from and all that stuff no same here because like the way people sort of just bandwagon onto like this is the person to hate today or th yeah. this person said this in the news they don't really read the whole article or maybe they will read the whole article but they won't get into the context of what might have like what what that person is about right. right so i here's the thing so while uh, i'm a big joe rogan fan right like mm -hmm. i i listened to joe rogan since uh before he was he even started his podcast like back in the yeah. day he was on uh, Opie and Anthony, and Opie and Anthony yeah, was kind of yeah. like Howard and Howard Stern. Love me and, some Opie and Anthony. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, wow, that's really awesome. I should probably get back to that. But anyway, so <laughs> yeah, so Rogan was on there, and people like uh, Patrice O'Neill and like all these like really popular, uh, great mm -hmm. comedians. And this place, this this podcast was incredible. Not podcast. I'm sorry. This radio show was incredibly unique because. It was like a hang, like people just sort of did. It was basically like a podcast before podcasting came out. It was yeah. like these long form discussions. It wasn't like a pre-plan, like this is a radio bit that we're doing or anything like that. Wow. You get real honest conversations there. And so I was introduced to Rogan there and got into him there and then saw his podcast whenever it started on Ustream or whatever was the first mm -hmm. thing. 
And then it actually started out pretty genuinely. Like he's just with his friends. He's joking around, uh, has comedians on eventually evolves to have uh, like scientists on psychologists, uh, mm-hmm. philosophers, yeah. political, yeah. Po- people from whatever are, political yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. persuasion. And then it grows into this huge thing, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Over a period of time, over a period of 10 years, right. I think more. Um and I don't know. It's like I saw the the like that compilation thing that came out where he's saying the the N word, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we cannot deny that he said it, and it's wrong to use the word, right? But also, I would add, you know, there's a context that yeah. he was saying it that they pulled it out of. Maybe maybe in one context he's saying how bad it is, or maybe saying this is as bad as saying this other racial yeah. slur. Uh, but then eventually he still makes anyway a joke, some kind of um, a really racist joke about uh, uh, walking into a movie theater and it's like Planet of the Apes or something like that. And it's like mm-hmm. it's messed up, like he even acknowledges it's racist in the next sort of uh, second. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird to like because when you look at this stuff, it really looks bad. Right. And yeah. especially to a mainstream audience, like you don't really look at, you know, what's the context he said this in? Is, is he joking? And does that even matter if he's joking, right? Like another yeah. question. Uh, what else has he said regarding race? Has he ever been anti-racism? Which he has been. He's had also people like uh, somebody who was converting people from yeah, the, from the KKK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had oh, like- Oh yeah, Daryl Davis, yeah. is that what yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. I believe so, yeah. And so I don't know. It, it's like, sometimes I like to, yeah. I would like to encourage people to sort of, look at the the nuance of who a person is before trying yeah. to necessarily cancel so, them so yeah yeah it's it's uh you know especially with uh you know the, the race and stuff like something i i learned uh you know when i got sober right because i used to just catastrophize everything and and uh like i'm half black right and mm-hmm. like when i when i got sober like i like something i teach you know people trying to get sober like every every day every day that I wake up, like I'm fighting for my life, right? Like if I, if I have one, if I have one drink, one drug that can send me into a spiral that will kill me. My son loses his dad. My girlfriend loses her boyfriend. My parents lose their son. Right. So like, I don't have time for small, minute bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Like I've had people say like, cause I look white as hell. Right. So I'm like this undercover, like seeing what's going on. And people have said some really racist stuff around me. And I'm like, Hey, I'm half black. And they're like, Oh, you know, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, like the way I think, and I, I respect that everybody has their own opinions on racism. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I talk about the culture wars a lot and stuff, but like, uh, I grew up here in Las Vegas ton of mormons mormons are typically very white right and my best friend's family was mormon and his family was like my family like uh his my mom was a drug uh, uh not a drug guy she was addicted to alcohol she messed with benzos every now and then but anyways she was an alcoholic i stopped uh, hanging out with her seeing her that much my dad worked all the time his family was like my family and his dad would say stuff right like because we played football a lot of black dudes on our football team, you know, they talk like, you know, with their slang and everything. And I, I, I love them and everything, but like his dad 
Like his dad would be like, Chris, you're one of the, like, you're one of the good, like, you don't talk like that. You're one of the good ones. It's not, you know, and it's what people would call like a microaggression, but like that shit's not going to keep me up at night. Like, I know he's a good guy. Like those guys, his whole family helped take care of me. Like, so, and, and his dad hung out with my dad, you know, I guess there's something to be discussed. Like, was he actually looking down on my black dad and all these other things, but I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. And when it comes to comedy and that's all we could spend hours talking about that. I give, I give so much leeway to comedians. It's, it's terrible. Like, cause there's all the Dave Chappelle stuff, Joe, Joe Rogan, there's stuff on there. Like this world is such a fucked up, crazy place right? I need people who are just going to come out and help me escape and just make fun of everything. Like, it's like, it's a different reality for me, right? But in Joe Rogan's um, situation, uh, I, I also empathize, like almost like with Russell Brand, because my, my YouTube channel, I started making videos and I would reach like 10, 20 people. Then I started reaching like 100, 200 people, right? Out of nowhere, my videos are getting tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of views, right? Like if you guys woke up tomorrow and you became like the number, top three podcasts, like how would you deal with that, right? What responsibilities would you now have, you know? How, does it change the way you talk? Does it change the way that you have uh, opinions? Because mm -hmm. you're now reaching right. an insane amount of people. And something um, uh, I talk with people about is there's this line as a content creator that you cross without even knowing it like where your your size like that that right because you go from being nobody to somebody like you said like i i i you know my friend got me into opie and anthony he got real like when joe rogan started his podcast my friend was all in and i don't know if you remember like the rogan boards like where his community would like it's like a yeah, forum, forum yeah. they'd all like sit there and talk and stuff like joe rogan basically used to run this like out of his closet right and eventually if then out of nowhere he's just number one right? So I empathize with him because he always says that like, hey, I'm just a guy. I like having conversations. It's like, cool. Like I'm a huge advocate for free speech, say what you want and everything like that. But the, the ethical question I always have is once you get to a certain size, how does that change your responsibility? You know, because I, while I do empathize with him that it blew up and, you know, now he's number one, at a certain point, you also got to say like, hey, I'm the number one podcast in the world. I have a little bit of responsibility mm -hmm. because I, I, that's just one thing. Cause I, I love Rogan. I think he blew up because he was having conversations that other people wouldn't have as, as everything got polarized. He's like, no, I'll bring Ben Shapiro on. I'll bring Jordan Peterson on. I'll bring Sam Harris. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Right. He's like, I'll ask him questions. So I, I respect that about him, but like, there's a certain point where it's like, okay, you're number one. You got to take a step back and just say, okay, what am I doing? How does this have an effect on people? Because in like, uh, I'm a huge reader of books on why we listen to people, mm -hmm. why uh, coming from uh, my background in marketing too, how does influence work? And the bigger you are, the more trusted you are, even though there's no reason to believe that, right? Like, why am I going to take medical advice from like Kim Kardashian, you know? But there's something our brain says like, wait, she has a ton of money, right? She has a massive following. She must know something. Like that's the way we evolved. So I think it's important that people understand that and they, they become a little bit more responsible for their influence. But I don't think enough people have that conversation. They're just like, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, let's talk a little bit, you know? You know, wow. That actually makes me think, and this is going to sound so stupid. I'm going to, but I'm going to say this anyway. This is actually kind of personal. Well, that is personal. So like, I remember when uh, there were times, especially, I mean, thankfully not 
and in the sort of near past, but in the distant past, where I would like break up with girls, right? And then people would be like, oh man, you were such a dick to her. And my response would be like, yeah, I don't think she cares. I'm like, it's not a big deal. I'm like, who am I? I'm like, why? Well, she's just going to move on, right? And, you know, people be like, no, you're like being an asshole. But legit, in my mind, I was like, if I'm like breaking up with this person, I'm like, I, she probably doesn't care about me anyway, right? Mm-hmm. So why am I saying this? So with Rogan, I wonder if there's a part of him that still has that mindset of, oh, I'm Joe Rogan from like 2005. Why the fuck does anybody even listen to me, right? Why would I have any responsibility? I'm just yeah. this dumb shit, right? So we're yeah. like, the rest of the world is like, no, dude, you're actually up here in status, right? You have like a responsibility because, you know, we put you here in some way. Whereas in his mind, he's like, what are you talking? I'm not up here. He's like, I'm down here. I'm the moron, yeah. right? These are the experts, right? Don't, I have, don't even like take me seriously. Yeah. So I know what kind of um, a sort of, a, I guess, a little more of a nefarious kind of perspective can be something along the lines of like, well, you know, Rogan knows and, you know, he's sort of abdicating his responsibility because he's childish, right? Okay, maybe. I don't know that. I don't really know what's in his heart, right, per se. But I can see it from his perspective where it's not an excuse where he's just literally telling himself like, hey, I'm not what these people think I am. I don't even really understand why they're taking me seriously. Because legit, if you were to put me in that situation and I had that mentality that I had as a teenager, I would have probably done the same thing. I would have been like, yeah, I don't care. Why Why is she even crying about me? I'm just like a piece of shit. Why would she even yeah. care? Go find, you're, you're better than me. You go find somebody better. Like you could easily do better than me. I don't even know how I'm breaking your heart right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would I would just add that like um I, I agree with you. It could be that he he doesn't realize how much status he has, but I I would argue that he's a pretty balanced thinker that he does probably take into consideration how much status he has. And people have probably said to him already the kind of conversation that we're having here in terms of like you have a platform, you're giving this person a platform, like you have this tremendous responsibility. Right, right. So I, I think that's in his head. I just, the, the interesting thing is, um, imagine everybody, like somebody took something you said from like five years ago, that maybe in the context of that time, wasn't as uh, powerful a thing to, to say, or is still powerful, but not as powerful. I'm not talking specifically the N-word. I'm just now being general. Maybe uh, there are other comedians who've had this too, like Kevin Hart uh, from didn't uh, host the Oscar, the Oscars, I think, because they took a joke that he had from many years ago, uh, which was like a joke about uh, him, his son, if he were gay or something like that. Yeah. Um, Which in the context of the time that he made that joke, uh, I mean, even though it's not right, it still was something that's a little more accepted as a joke at the time and that people would laugh at and all of that. So it's like, it's it's weird like uh making people kind of pay for things that they've done in the past it also not giving them credit to think that they're probably a different person now um that they also like if you do take something that let's say somebody like a rogan said from the past i mean even if he apologizes right it makes some sort of a statement it's not good enough for I mean, or for some people, it's good. For other people, it's it's not good. Yeah. And then yeah. this kind of thing has a momentum to it when like people get into this sort of angry mob and uh, yeah. just people start to then just jump on. And like you said, like they'll judge a book by its cover and not try to be nuanced yeah. about it. There's, 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 so, there's so much wrong with pulling up like old clips and stuff like that. Like, so first off, like I, I'm a recovering drug addict, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, you guys meeting me, like you're meeting the best version of me, right? Anybody listening mm-hmm. to me is meeting, like I was, I was not on, uh, you know, YouTube or, you know, I was on social media, like Facebook, right? During my addiction, but like 
people need to understand I was a massive piece of shit. Like I was terrible. I was screwing over people, right? But how many people would get sober if I was just like, hey, you're a piece of garbage. You're always going to be a piece of garbage and everybody's going to see you as a piece of garbage. No, right. we want to believe that people can grow and people can change. It's one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate for prison reform. And I hate the fact that there's this, you know, just uh, this cycle where people get out of prison, they can't get a job, they go back to crime, they go back into prison. It's like, no, how about we give people a chance and, and show them like, hey, maybe you, you can change, right? So when we're pulling up people's old stuff, it, we're, we are sending this message that, hey, you are defined by whatever moment we choose in your entire life, right? Like, are we going to judge somebody like, hey, this person, you know, crapped their pants as a baby and just label them that as their entire life? No, we grow, we learn, we change. But also, here's what drives me nuts, you guys. The fact that like, especially like millennials, right? We want to act like 2000 to 2010, like never existed. Like, it used to be like normal. It used to be normal to just call your friends gay right? That's what everybody was doing, right? Yes. And now we know, hey, there's problems with that. This is wrong. There's an issue. So to pull things from that era, like Joe Rogan was the only person, you know, and, and has anybody ever been like on Xbox Live? Do you know the N-bombs that people drop? Oh, like, it's so bad. it's it's crazy. <laughs> like, but one of the reasons I got into moral philosophy too, and there's some really interesting conversations coming up with uh, online shaming and stuff, but the anonymity of the internet gives you this strange ability to take this moral high ground because everybody knows who Joe Rogan is, but nobody knows who the hell you are. Nobody has all your clips. Nobody has all. So you can present this facade that you have never done anything. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite stories is, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, this, uh, this young girl, this young woman wore uh, that Asian dress to prom. And yes. this guy, he's like, hey, my culture isn't your problem, right? Five minutes later, pull, people pulled up all these tweets of him just dropping N-bombs left and right. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you dumbass. Like we've all done stuff. So quit judging other people. Like you have just been this, per like you just came out of the womb and you've just been living this enlightened life. Like, no, you've said things, but nobody had a camera on. Nobody was recording it. And I've been talking with people lately because I think we're going to reach this tipping point or I, I hope we're reaching this tipping point where all the people who were doing the count, uh, the canceling and the outrage culture, it's coming to them. So soon we're gonna get people on this side where it's like, hey, this can happen to anybody. I need to quit joining in this mob. Like, I cannot tell you, I would say 99.9% .9 of the people who made videos about me canceling me, since then, they've all been canceled. Every wow. single one of them every wow. single one of them. Wow. And I'm just like, uh, you know, I feel bad for them. I wouldn't wish what happened to me on my worst enemy, but they've, they've changed from that experience. They know what it's like now. They know what it's like for people to dig up your shit, to people take you out of context, to people use clips and not, you know, have a nuanced view of you. So I'm, I'm hoping we reach that, that tipping point and anybody listening to this, like, just realize like, you're not an angel. Okay. Like, you know, how many people canceling Joe Rogan have dropped and bombs with their friends or online or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, yeah, maybe you haven't, but I'm sure you said something transphobic. I'm sure you said something that was just yeah. really shitty. 
And fortunately, millions of people didn't hear it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and it's like, little rant. <laughs> yeah, and it's like when you're on any sort of team, right? Whether right or left, I mean, you tend to idealize your side, right? So, like a good example of this, and so I'm like a very long time fan of like rap slash hip hop music, right? So I pretty much I have an extensive, I would say, knowledge of like '90s rappers and what their lives were like and things that was going that were going on with them, right? As opposed to like let's say their lyrics, which were honestly very much true to sort of true to form and true to fact, right? So the thing is like you have like liberals right who on the one hand they're like oh you know like fuck rogan right we want to cancel him and these are the same people who are enjoying the super bowl halftime show which i loved right but the thing is like it's like guys you love dr dre right you think like he's this amazing person do you have any idea how many women he spent fucking countless hours beating the shit out of so remember when straight out of compton came out like you know that was obviously a great movie or whatever right so you had like the the sort of the watered down version of nwa there was actually a counter film that many people don't know about called surviving compton so michelle who was and again i get it like most people are like you know hip-hop heads they don't get it right like hey i like dr dre eminem stuff i saw on mtv cool right Mm -hmm. so Chalet was a member of not only Death Row Records, but she was actually one of the homies when they were NWA, right? He used to date her. He used to beat the shit out of her every single night. So the movie mm. Surviving Compton was actually about their relationship, right? Mm. And so as the movie starts out, right, she's like, oh, I know you guys like saw straight out of Compton, but she's like, this is actually the dark side to it. This is the stuff that you're not going to get in the film version of it because it's obviously all glossed over. So, and then that was kind of her relationship with a lot of these guys because uh, she went out with Dre and I think she also had a relationship with Suge Knight after he did the same thing because he was kind of a piece of shit right so and this is like the stuff that you don't get and what was so cool about the movie and this is something that i could say that made me so happy was she actually was like no like tupac was actually one of the good ones like he wasn't the one doing all that shit he was actually a really good dude as opposed to the other people because she's like yo dr dre is like a huge piece of shit right and then you know people like no you know like "Ah, that's one person yada yada now he gets divorced his wife is claiming the same stuff she's like yo he used to beat me to like up to the pulp to unconsciousness right where literally i would wait up just a bloody blue bruised mess right so but my point in, in saying all of this is that you have liberals who are like really against joe rogan right and i'm not look i don't really I, I can't really even say i know what to think for sure because i don't i'm on the fence about it but my point is i can say that like look i'm kind of on the i'm skeptical right i don't really know but then you have like liberals who are like no rogan is a piece of shit but we love dr dre right and even snoop dogg right yes probably snoop dogg never did anything terrible maybe but if you listen to his lyrics i'm like yo what do you think these guys are glorifying like give me a break and this is music that i love right but i can say like yeah man a lot of the music is really fucked up and even back in the 90s when you had c dolores tucker who was like yeah you know these people are like pieces of shit they're glorifying violence they're glorifying like beating on women yada yada right now 20 years later you get suge knight who's like yeah man I think she was right. I think we were kind of scumbags back then. Yeah, no shit you were, right? But again, you know, you have liberals who are like, oh, you know, it's just, you know, a bunch of like poor black dudes and they made their way to the top and, you know, the system was fucking them every single time and they still found the way around it. Yes, that's only part of the story. They did also some really terrible things behind the scenes. Well, you know, a lot of of people do hear these stories and things like that. And like what, what you're talking about, I think a lot about like separating the art from the artist and stuff. Like, for example, Michael Jackson. Right. My middle mm. name is Michael. My original name was going to be Michael Jackson Boutet. Right. My parents were like, nah, because my sister, I was born in 85 when Thriller came out. And my sister wanted to name me Michael Jackson, but they just made my middle name Michael. But anyways, like I, I love Michael Jackson's music, but his checkered history and the allegations and everything like, you know, I don't, for example, I don't know what to think about it. Right. There's a lot of conflicting uh, right. stories and everything. But what I'm getting at, like there's this whole art from the artist. But I'll tell you guys a topic that I'm absolutely obsessed with and any book that comes out on it. I will read it immediately. 
and it's mm -hmm. self-deception, right? Mm -hmm. Our ability to self-deceive, to dodge, cog like to uh, dodge cognitive dissonance, to just, you know, like, uh, like if you just have a conversation with people and just say, like, for example, okay, so explain to me why uh, Joe Rogan's a piece of shit for saying something, but Dr. Dre is not a piece of shit for doing something, right? <laughs> like, and, and just watch the mental gymnastics that people go through. And I love reading books like this. And it's one of the reasons why I just really advocate for people like reading books about psychology, understand how the human mind works. I'll tell you though, it helps me understand my mind, but it doesn't make it easier dealing with other people. Like I'm sure, I'm sure you guys get this too, the more you learn about yourself and human nature and you watch other people, you're like, I know why you're doing this, but I fucking hate it, right? It really bothers me, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? But it helps me like empathize with them a little bit, but I want people to read because, uh, you know, whenever I have a uh, psychologist or researchers on who study self-deception and stuff, um, like I, I, I have an upcoming episode uh, with uh, Todd Rose. He wrote an awesome book called Collective Illusions. It's out, everybody should read it. Huh. And it's like uh, how we we all kind of conform and have these lies that we believe together. But anyways, what we're talking about, what he talks about in this episode, what all these people talk about is like just educating yourself about this. Like just pick up uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Realize how many dumb things your brain does on a daily basis. Like I, I, I'm regularly reading like five to 10 books. Like I just have them in a rotation. I'll read a chapter here, a chapter there. There's always one or two in them that explains to me how screwed up my brain is and how, how my biases and uh, heuristics and all these other things. But educating yourself about these things is the best thing that you can do. So you catch yourself, you start to realize, wait, why am I giving Joe Rogan such a hard time? But my best friend is a piece of shit, right? But I'm here <laughs> on the internet criticizing a stranger, you know, and you start to reflect on your own life. And I, I think I think that would be a, just a great thing for the world for people to pick up books like this and understand why they think the way they do, you know? Oh man. And so just, I got to ask before we kind of end off, right? How come you got canceled? Uh, <laughs> right before we end. No, we've touched on a little bit of it, but uh, yeah. So I started my channel to help people mm -hmm. and basically uh, I realized because, you know, I work in marketing too. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, like my goal is to help people, right? I want to help people. There's a bunch of people. And, and if you can't afford therapy, if you can't afford treatment, like, I don't know how much you charge for sessions, but therapy can be freaking expensive, right? Treatment, like my treatment center, if you went there, $30,000 without insurance, some people were paying thousands with insurance, right? For their copay deductible. Wow. So I'm like, well, YouTube's free. All you need is an internet connection. And like I said, I was reaching 10, 20 people, but then I realized if you intertwine pop culture with these topics, so I click people in like, so for example, if I were to make a YouTube video today, right? Cause I kind of, I'm still kind of traumatized by the experience. But if I were, if this was like 2019, Chris, I'd make a video saying like, here's what Kanye West is actually thinking. Mm -hmm. And then we'd have a conversation about bipolar disorder, right? right. So mm -hmm. I'd bait them in and then I'd educate them about this, right? Uh, or here's the real reason uh, Kanye and Kim Kardashian got divorced. I'd bait him in and then I'd explain Kim left him because he refused to take his medications, refused right. to treat his mental illness. Right. And I would teach the audience, hey, listen, I take my mental me uh, health medications. I go to 12-step meetings. I go to therapy, not just for me, but for my son, for my girlfriend, for the people in my life. So I take these pop culture stories and try to teach people. 
Well, one of the things I did was I would also use uh, YouTubers as an example. Hmm. And I had so like my number one video has almost a million views. And it's about uh, a young woman, uh, her YouTube channel is Illimation, and she really blew up. She's an animator. And she <laughs> made a three part series about this abusive relationship she was in, right? We're talking about uh, like gaslighting, domestic violence, I, I, uh, I think sexual assault was in there, right? And a lot of people in the YouTube community were like attacking her and you know, the whole victim blaming. Uh, there's a part where she says like, you know, she went to the cops and they didn't listen. So I'll use these these kind of stories, like I would explain to people, like, listen, a lot of victims of sexual assault don't go to the police because they keep hearing stories about other people being ignored by the police. So anyways, that's how I do it. Uh, I ended up collaborating with Illumation. She's like, thank you. Like, you helped me realize, like, I need to go to therapy for some of this shit I went through. So a lot of YouTubers thanked me, but then a few YouTubers uh, didn't like what I was doing, right? And as far as philosophy goes, I'm very utilitarian. You know, where I'm like, if you're having, if you're, if you're broadcasting your abusive relationship to the world, I think I have a right to make a video saying, Hey, this is what an abusive relationship looks like. I use my experience of previous abusive relationships. And a lot of people loved it. My channel exploded. We started building a mental health community, just peer support. I started a discord. I had a Facebook group. People were helping each other. I was constantly getting messages, emails. Like I had to I had to like stop reading my messages and develop a new system because I was getting so many. And this isn't to toot my own horn, but that's how massive this was. And I, I, I'm only one guy. So that's why I built this peer support community. But anyways, YouTubers started coming after me. People start the reason why I worded it uh, earlier. I said, Hey, I'm like peer support mm -hmm. is because one of the number one hate videos about me was the fake therapist. Right. Mm -hmm. So a rumor started that I was, claiming I was a licensed therapist, even though there's not one video. So that's another thing that's an issue with cancel culture. Once mm -hmm. people put the bullseye on you, narratives start, you know, mm -hmm. uh, misinformation starts. And that's another reason why I talk a lot about misinformation. But yeah, um, because of uh, tribalism, right? Because there's people who rally around YouTubers, like, how dare you talk about this person, you know, or whatever. Uh, and that's kind of what happened. But because of uh, social media algorithms, there was a period in time where if you even put the rewired soul in the title of your video, you were guaranteed thousands of views. Mm. So, uh, you know, I, 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 try to, I try to educate myself about incentives, like how we're all driven by incentives. You had people with small channels all of a sudden blowing up because they were making hate videos about me. Wow. And, you know, we, we do things that work, right? So all of a sudden, some no-name channel makes a video that says the rewired soul sucks. They get thousands of views after only getting 100. What are they going to do? They're like, okay, how can I make another video about it? How can I make another video? And then eventually you start making videos just bullshitting. Like people started saying that my mom isn't an actual, isn't actually a psychologist. I had one YouTuber say that my girlfriend doesn't actually exist and I'm just pretending to be her online. Shit <laughs> gets crazy, man. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of how it spiraled. And uh, there is like an... Uh, a moral and ethical conversation to be had about the method I was using. But mm -hmm. one of my good friends and mentors, uh, Roberto Bro Blake, uh, he's a creative entrepreneur. He's on YouTube. Everybody should check him out. Like uh, he taught me a lot about creating, making a living off creating and stuff like that. But he's, uh, you know, he tweeted out the other day, like the same thing that Chris got canceled for 
is what people are getting like a million subscribers for today. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's this weird, uh, you know, it's one of the reasons I learned about cognitive dissonance. Like, why is it okay for this person to do, like people are taking my strategy and blowing up on YouTube, but mm -hmm. I got canceled for it, right? And it took like, you know, I was, I was about to relapse. I was borderline suicidal. I had to go into therapy. I had to start going to meetings every single day. So um, like I said, I just educated myself. And it's one of the reasons a lot of my content focuses on tribalism and misinformation and just so many things that happened to me. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Why are people right. acting like this? You know, so so that's kind of the, the short of it. So I hope I summarize that well. But Everybody can go grab a copy of my book, Cancelled. <laughs> and that kind of outlines it in a little bit more detail. I do need to do an updated version because I didn't understand the psychology uh, behind it and some of the moral questions and stuff. So I've been really thinking about revisiting it with everything I've learned over the last three years, just reading and talking with people and stuff. Yeah, because it's easier to personalize something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I, like I said earlier, I hope everybody realizes, like, don't think you're immune from this. Like the, the first, the first real big story of someone getting canceled was Justine Sacco. She made a joke about going to Africa, hoping she doesn't get AIDS says JK I'm white. And by the time she landed in Africa, she was fired from her job and everybody knew her name. Like that's how soon it happened. So like, she was just like a no name, right? This can happen to anybody. And we like to believe it can never happen to us, but I'm telling you, like, again, like just using you guys as an example, you guys become top three podcasts tomorrow, people are going to start going through your shit. Like, you know, people started digging up my old Facebook posts from when I like, they would, they would post like in the videos, they'd be like, look at what he said in 2009. I'm like, hey, I, I just drank a bottle of Bacardi and popped a few pills when I wrote that. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, of course, if you pull up my old posts from when I was in my drug addiction, you're going to see some fucked up shit, you know? So uh, so yeah, cancel culture bad. <laughs> and just to sort of put a, a, a bow on it, because like, um, I didn't expect us to end with that question. So instead, I want to, this could be like sort of one of the last questions. Hey, is, I'm always willing to come back too if we want to continue this conversation. You awesome. Agree, so. oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, how did, how did you sort of, how do you come back from being canceled? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Yeah, because I was mm -hmm. going to ask that yeah. earlier, but then you asked that question. I'm like, yeah. oh no, I'm trying to respect this time. But mm -hmm. yeah, we yeah. should probably answer that before. Yeah. yeah. And by, yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm good on time too. My son's busy, girlfriend's doing some homework and stuff. So, um, but how did I bounce back? Uh, it took a lot. I, like we were talking about earlier, these small little wins, right? It took me a while to come back and make content, uh, and things like that. Like it's been like this month, I think February is three years since it happened. I still get random shitty comments like, Hey, you piece of shit. Right. And stuff like that. But it's, lot less than when it first happened. But um, what helped me the most is right now, and I'm sure you guys notice it too, there's people who have made their brand like trying to get canceled just so they can <laughs> bitch about cancel culture. Mm -hmm. uh, screw those people. I don't like it. It's like this, you know, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's almost like trying to be the victim and it's really weird. Yes. But anyways, but there's another group of people who are speaking out. They're not afraid to say what they think. It's one of the reasons I talk about free speech and stuff like that. Like, uh, hey, like, like, you know, I may disagree with Rogan on the science and everything that he's doing, but I believe he has a right to say it and we can have a conversation. But anyways, uh, there are people who basically have given me courage, right, uh, from what they're doing, like they'll write an article or they'll send out a tweet 
where it's like, uh, I think a great example is Sam Harris, right? Sam Harris lost me for a while. Like Sam Harris helped me out so much in my sobriety. Like I would, I would like do something to get him on my podcast. Like that guy helped save my life. His book, Waking Up, Spirituality Without Religion. I'm like, oh shit. Because like I said, I was like an atheist in AA and it was a little hard, but his book really helped me out a lot. But anyways, uh, I, I love Sam. Then I kind of broke away from him. I was like, ah, Sam, you're getting a little weird for me. But recently, <laughs> recently, I'm like, I respect the hell out of that dude. He has gone against uh, his tribe, right? Like he disagrees with stuff Rogan's been doing. He's been disagreeing with stuff that uh, Peterson's doing. And I think Sam Harris is a good example of kind of like what you were talking about, right? Like you can disagree with some of what Rogan's doing, but to just have this black and white thinking of like, oh, he's a piece of shit now. Like Sam Harris isn't afraid to have a nuanced conversation and realize that a person isn't just one thing. You know what I mean? Like Sam Harris did a, a short uh, episode recently, like, hey, I've known Rogan for years. I don't think he's a racist, right? Even though Sam Harris has criticized the scientists or doctors he's had on who are anti-vax. So anyways, when I see stuff like that, every one of those things gives me a little bit more courage. And I do think since this happened to me in 2019 and now, like I said, the pendulum is kind of swinging the other way uh, that I know that if it happened to me today, I have a support system, right? Mm. Because when it initially happened to me, one of the hardest things was, uh, like I was saying, all the people who messaged me and said, hey, Chris, you helped me. Hey, Chris, like you saved my life. Hey, Chris, you encouraged me to go to therapy. I had, I had one or two people actually come to my treatment center in Las Vegas and say, hey, Chris, I saw your videos, even though I never said where I worked, so that's kind of creepy. But I had people who one day said, Chris, you helped save my life, to the next day making videos about me being a piece of shit. Like those people would turn on their camera. Um, a lot of my friends, like even my best friends who I've known since childhood, they're like, Chris, I love you, I'm here for you, but I can't talk about your situation publicly because I can't handle all these people coming after me. You know what I mean? So what I'm saying is today, I think if it were to happen, I have a support system of people who, who would publicly say, no, I know Chris and he's not the person that you guys are saying. So um, all that stuff has given me courage and that's helped me kind of bounce back. And, and, you know, sometimes I write Substack pieces going against my leftist progressive tribe. Like I don't have a problem calling them out, you know, cause there's other people that do it too. And, and, and I, I just think we need more people talking, speaking up, breaking away from that tribal group think and all that stuff and just encourage one another because we need to have conversations and we, most of all, we need to be able to disagree without hating each other. Like, I don't know when that happened, but it, it really <laughs> it breaks my heart to, to be like, Hey, we disagree. Therefore you should probably die. Like what? It's a little extreme to me. So. Oh man. I love that. That's such a great like ending point. I think so Alan, before we wrap up, did you, you want to say something else? No, I was going to ask oh, okay. Go for yeah. it. if we wanted to follow you, follow your work, uh, where, where can we find I, I Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. I'm more active on Twitter, the rewired soul podcast where I bring on authors. I, I do bonus episodes too, because there's a lot of interesting people who haven't written a book. So, uh, I have them on cause I still want to talk to them. Like I have a uh, episode with Rob Henderson coming on today. He's a cool guy. Um, but yeah, so the podcast, Instagram, Twitter, and yeah, I've self-published some books. They're all available on Kindle or you can go to my website, therewiredsoul.com and buy them directly. Uh, most of them are mental health, addiction recovery. Uh, but I also wrote about my experience being canceled. If you want to 
if you want to get the first person account from start to finish. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that. Awesome. And I know I said this before to you, obviously, but it's worth reiterating for our audience. So Chris legitimately has one of the top three podcasts that I listen to. So you're, yeah. So to me, you're up there with Sam Harris, um, the Michael Shermer show, which I obviously love because Shermer's our guy. Right. And I would even, I'm not like a huge fan of Joe Rogan, but damn, man, like you're up there too. In my mind. Thanks, thanks man. That means a lot. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. Anytime. Man. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. First of all, epic, right? Awesome. Another epic awesome. episode. Yep. Listen, guys, if you want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and at uh, Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Like, subscribe, hit the bell. And thank you so much for watching. See you next time.